Wessel, would you like to pray for us? Yes, that's interesting. Well, Lord, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Um, thank you for reminding us of the beauty of uh, your truth and your word. And uh, thank you for the um, inheritance of Christian believers and thinkers that we get to be a part of. And may we uh, glean a lot from that and learn how to pursue you and love you and love others uh, as your son did. That's what I pray. Amen. 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 All right, so. Sorry, I talked. No, no, no. You, this is Sunday. This is when we have fellowship. Fellowship is important for us. <laughs> So when you tell us all the things going all on. All the things that go wrong. <laughs> I can tell you more. No, I had, uh, we had uh, the Schmitz over yesterday. Mm-hmm. How are they doing? Uh, you know, better now that he had the opportunity to talk about it. Because apparently he's just been carrying this around for a couple of months. Which is, I said, well, do you like this? I was like, if you don't die after you're in your surgery, Peter and I know each other really well. I was like, if you don't die... I'm going to have a few things to say to you afterwards. The fact that you didn't tell anyone this was coming. Right. Up. For months? Yeah. Months. Yeah. On top of... And he was like, oh, man. <laughs> if I survive. All right. Okay, so um, we're talking about uh, the Trinity, okay? I really like these chapters. These are great chapters. Mm-hmm. Of, all th- all, of all the things, C.S. Lewis is like, let's go to the very heart of mm-hmm. Christian theology <laughs> and talk about that. And this is usually called... Theology proper. That's what theologians call it. And the re- and the reason is because when you're talking theology, all of the doctrines that we talk about come from Trinitarian theology, right? It's like the fountainhead. And so there's classically two ways to start <coughs> systematic theologies. Either you start with the Word of God, there's a whole tradition where you start with the Word of God. Or, as is proper, you start with God himself. Um, Reformed people tend to go with God first. You start with the Trinity versus starting with scriptures. uh, Because he precedes the scriptures. But other people argue that you don't know anything about him without the scriptures. So you have to cover scriptures first. But theology proper, this is really, um, I suppose, what everything is about. So anything that you don't understand in this world, any, any... mystery, any, anything that's confusing. The, the, the biggest questions that we have, the answers to those questions can be found in the in, inner life, um, pre-creation life of God. <laughs> the inner workings of the Trinitarian God. And here's what I mean. So this is a diagram that people usually use. Um, this is a very crude version of it. Usually there's like four circles and then uh, six or seven lines and you have all these of the Son is not the Spirit, but is equal to the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father, but equal to the Father. And, and this is like one of the diagrams people use to show the Trinity. And the reason I've drawn this first is to demonstrate what I want to, want to say. So how can someone, the Father and the Son, right? If the Son um, is eternally begotten and proceeds from the Father eternally, how can he be equal to him? If he comes on earth and he says, I submit in everything to the Father, how can someone who submits to the Father in all things be equal to the Father? And, and what, what I find fascinating is that we, right now there's this huge controversy on subordinationism, it's called, about the Son being subordinated to the Father. People don't like this. And I think it's very interesting that we also are a generation who don't like the idea of a woman submitting to her husband. You're like, oh, we have this kind of difficulty accepting that 
men have a difficulty with it, women have a difficulty with accepting this idea that you could be submissive to someone and yet still be their equal. And you're like, oh, lo and behold, you go a generation, and now we're confused about the Trinitarian theology that they worked out back in the fourth century. And that is, is partially what I'm talking about. Our, our real life issues stem from our misunderstanding about God himself. Okay, we don't like that, we don't get, and we don't like that the Son submits to the Father, and yet we call them equal. So a bunch of theologians right now are like, well, they're equal to one another. And they're like, fine, stop saying that he submits to them. Right? No, we're going to continue to say that it's in this room and that they are equal to one does, does this make sense? And this is a, 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 a ready example in our own head. People are struggling with doctrines in the scripture, and what they're really struggling with is who God is. And, I, and, and what I find, this is from Francis Schaeffer, um, is that there are gaps in our knowledge. Okay, um, This circle is supposed to be knowledge. And, and in our, our knowledge, there are gaps. Say individual ism well, we won't say ism yeah, individualism and society okay, how how do I live in society while still maintaining my individualism how do I remain me without getting lost right, without just being a cog in a big machine how am I one person but how do I live in a society with a bunch of people in perfect harmony well, how does the Trinity do it? Because they're three persons, one being. Okay? So the individual and the collective live in perfect harmony with one another. And if you notice, uh, how many political issues do we have today run along this spectrum? How, right? how dare you drive that gas-guzzling car? What about society? Um, and, and everybody uses this argument. That's a very progressive argument. You've got to give up yourself in order to help everyone else, right? And what do conservatives say? I don't care about society, I care about individual liberty, right? So this, this, this line here is something that almost all political issues run on. And, and, and how we understand it, how we close the gap in this knowledge, is the triune God. How do you have three individual persons, because they are persons, who are also one being, okay? So the Son is the Son because of the Father. Because of the Father, He is the Son. If you take away the Father, He ceases to be who He is individually. And yet He never acts or does anything apart from the will of the Father. Right? He's in perfect harmony with Him, perfect equality with Him. Um, and, and how do they do that? Okay? Now, if we can understand that, then we ourselves can understand how to do it. Does this make sense? about it, everyone's pondering <laughs> I'm just confused as to why it says that each person of the Trinity is not equal then. No, no, no. It's, um, it's two different lines. The Father is not the Son, okay. but the Son is equal to the Father. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that, that, that's what this is supposed to be. And there's usually like four or five lines yeah. where you, you have this, you have to keep all your... Because have you guys ever seen the definition of Chalcedon? It's um, something written in the fourth or fifth century, and it, where, it's where they worked out most of the things about the Trinity, and, and most Trinitarian theology since then uses it, but it's very, very confusing. Uh, when they say things like, he's God of God, light of light, I don't understand what that means. Yeah. So they draw this diagram to help us actually understand what it means. So, so can you guys think of another thing um, like this, individualism versus society? 
right? The, the, the individual person versus the collective. This tension that is resolved in the <clears throat> Trinity, can you guys think of another? Maybe just the idea that human nature is good versus human nature is bad. Like How that, so? That. So if you believe humans are fundamentally good, I guess this is kind of the individual society thing again, just kind of freeze. Yeah, it's amazing how it all, if you really boil it down, it's yeah. almost all things come together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But I was just thinking that because that's a lot of the conservative versus liberal perspective of human nature. Yeah. Because liberals are just like, oh, just prevent all the barriers to pursue right. your desires and then you'll be free. Right. Whereas conservatives are like, well, no, restrain your own desires and then you'll be free. Yeah. So. Right. So, um, along this, this is good. So, like in philosophy 101, they always talk about nature, man in nature. Okay. So, imagine man in the garden. No, that's too biblical. Imagine <laughs> ma a man in nature. Okay. And there's no society. Was he good and then society corrupted him? Or was society the thing he created so that he went from bad to good? Or was he good and then he became bad because of society? So this is like back in at the very beginning when there wasn't a society, man was what? Good or bad? Okay, this, and then this is again, um, gets right into the heart of the Trinity. Well, good or bad compared to what? Right? How is a man without a society? He's just all by himself. He's good or bad compared to what? I don't know. Based on what you're saying, don't you have to have other people to determine whether he's good or bad? If we go with the way morality works now, is what's good for everyone is what's good. Well, if you have no one else, how do you even determine? Oh, you're, you're assuming in this question that there is a good that exists above and beyond the individual by which you can measure whether he's good or bad. Okay? So, people like Jean-Jacques Rousseau and his school of of thinking is that society was the problem. Man was fine. If you could just get back to nature, get back uh, man in the natural world, uh, then you know you'll have this utopian world. So, so think about that. How does that play out? Okay. Well, we're overpopulated. You shouldn't have children. We shouldn't have uh, buildings. Everything should be green, and we should everything should be like the natural world. And man constantly wants to get back to this position because they think it's society that is the problem. Uh, Fight Club was uh, a movie very popular for men my age. And, and one of the things that the terrorist guy wanted in the movie was to take society back to nature when man was good and, and, and society hadn't corrupted him yet. Um, so it, what, what actually happened? Well, if you, you know, this philosophical question that you talk about in philosophy 101 classes, all across America, every fall, you go back and you, well, there was actually a garden and there was actually one man. And he actually was good. Uh, but it wasn't good that he was alone. And, and so God made a helper for him. See, so you, you, this philosophical question, Christians can answer it. And how do we answer it? Well, there was a man made in the image of the being by which we, this fixed point by which we say things are good or bad. And he made man, and then he made a woman, and brought the woman to the man, and then they fell. Okay, and then now the whole story is about this Trinitarian God fixing what was broken. Okay? And, we and it turns out, we find out in, say, the book of Ephesians, that this was the plan all along. There was this plan all along for the fall and for the restoration of man. Does this make sense? <laughs> so, you're being very quiet. That makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> you're being very quiet, Laura. I don't know if I like that. You're just taking it all in. Just listening. You're just listening. 
So Am I supposed to argue with you? Is no, you, you, want? you know, add some commentary. What do you think so far? I'm listening. You're listening. Okay. <laughs> so Francis Schaeffer talks about the fact that um, man is is not God, and so he can't get his mind all his mind, his will all the way around creation. Um, so if this is creation, there's these gaps we, we, we don't understand looking out this direction. We, we don't understand. We see, oh, there's something missing here. I don't understand um, this universe that we're in. And if you think about what the Bible says scripturally, right? If God is um, um, someone who makes things out of clay, how do you actually make pottery? You guys tell me, how does pottery work? Right, but how do you actually make something? If I wanted you to shape it, okay, shape you have to shape it how? With your hands on a wheel. On a wheel, right? You, you get a wheel and you use a well. In high school, you have a pedal. Yeah. You push this pedal and it spins. Okay. You put clay on there, and then you got to get your hands like all the way around the clay. Well, if you think about the Earth, right, and the cosmos are spinning, and and who is the one who has his hands all the way around to shape it into what it wants? God, that's why he's the Father. And, and so, if we want to understand, the more of the universe we want to understand, the answers lie within the in, intra, not extra, but intra life of the Trinity. So, why are there men and women? Why, why have, you know, nature declares the glory of God. What does that mean? How do oceans tell us about the animal? Right? Like, if we want to study this world, what are we actually studying when we study creation? We're studying him because it's an image of him, right? And I think this is this is where our Trinitarian theology is so important. It, it undergirds everything. Because you go down to the bottom of the ocean, what you're learning about isn't just ocean, the ocean. You're learning about God, okay? And all of the things in this world that we're teaching our children, all any subject that they want to study, any career that they want to have, fundamentally, what is it about? It's always about God. Um, you know... <laughs> it's a real deal for what, right? How, how you have two people who become one flesh, and, and, and neither person wants to lose um, their identity, and this is always what you hear in the world now, right? People are, well, I, I wasn't, I lost myself in this relationship that I was in. Well, that's what you're supposed to do to a certain extent. And so, if you if if you have issues in your marriage, the answers to them are in the intra life of the Trinity. This is, I, I just hope I'm selling this point. Okay. So, some of the ways that C.S. Lewis, uh, some of the metaphors he uses are really, really helpful. Um, and some of them are not what we're used to hearing. Uh, this is one of the, this section here is why uh, the Greek Orthodox, the Catholics, the Protestants, everybody claims C.S. Lewis as their own. <laughs> There's a book written by a man named Schmemann. And, uh, what's that? You say has it wrong? He has it wrong? No, he has it right. He's right. And this is why everybody wants to claim C.S. Lewis as their own. Why he has it wrong. Okay. I'm just clarifying. I just don't understand. <laughs> I didn't understand no, has it wrong. I was oh. like, what was that word? What did sorry, you I'm say? mumbling. I will enunciate well, I just, and speak just, over the guitars. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Yeah, okay, so there's a man who wrote a book. Uh, his name is Schmemann, and, and it's, it's a, he's a Greek Orthodox theologian, but he wrote it for Protestants. And the reason is because he understands that we're getting something wrong, and that is the mystery of the Trinity. The mystery, okay? 
we want in our systematic theology to categorize everything. We want to understand everything like we can get our hands all the way around clay. And, and part of what, what, what we lose is the mystery of the Trinity. How, how do you have three persons, three distinct persons, who are at the same time as one being? Okay, we can talk about that and explain that, and we can use all the metaphors we like, but ultimately there's no way to, to in one sense, really understand it. Okay? Um, you can only understand it so far. And so part of what uh, Schmemann's point is that if you, if you go so far with this, and then the idea is to worship him. And, and he doesn't think that the Western Church does a great job worshiping the, this mystery and, 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 and meditating on the mystery and enjoying the mystery. Right? Um, and one of his points somewhere in the book is that C.S. Lewis got it. Um, and, and I like that because um, C.S. Lewis uses a couple of metaphors. One of them is, you know, if you have the Trinitarian God, you have a speaker and you have his word. Okay? And, and so the speaker is the father. The word, obviously, is the son. And, and he is what the father has always been saying and will always be saying. Uh, for eternity, and the breath by which he says it is the spirit. These pens are terrible. Okay, so the breath is this is the spirit. The word is the son, and the speaker is the father. Now, does that help you get a sense of who this person, this being is? I should say, right? A little bit. A little bit. I don't think we'll ever comprehend Trinity. No, I don't think we're supposed to. See, as Lewis said, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's something out of this world. We we don't have beings that are consist of three people or persons. Right. So we can't really fathom it. Right, we can't. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult, right, when you start thinking about this. Because the other way that he uses it right at the end is that there's... Oh, the blue eyes. The blue is the best. Yeah, do, you, the, do you buy new pens or just keep using old ones hoping they recover? No, I mean, I keep buying new ones and bring them in here and then the kids use them. Ah, well, don't keep them in here. Well, I, I, I tried that, but then they found them in my office. <laughs> oh my okay. There should be something's off limits. Yeah. Well, you would think, but I'm not going to get into that. So the Father is the lover, the Son is the beloved, and the love between them is the Holy Spirit. That's what I was saying at the end of my sermon last week, which comes from Augustine. <laughs> Augustine was like, here's the best way I can explain this being. The Father is the one who loves, the Son is the one who is loved, and the love between them is the Spirit. Well, C.S. Lewis and one of the... Um, Mention said that, you know, like a family has a personality or a spirit or a group of people yeah. to talk about. Mm -hmm. he, I mean, his, and I thought that was an interesting way of explaining that. Yeah. The relationship between father and son, there's a, there's a, a what do you call it? A spirit of, you know. A spirit, an ethos. There's yes, and that the is. The aroma of it, as they say in the New Testament. So, kind of all saying the same thing there, but. Right. Yeah, and I mean, the whole point of us is to have the same spirit. Because you can have a church that gets together, and they you know they come together and have community, and, they, and there's a spirit about them, and the question is, is it the same spirit as, as these two? <laughs> and, and I think increasingly as you go along, you love, you give love the way they do. You receive it the way they do. And, and the love, the spirit that they are known by is also becomes the spirit of your so, you know, C.S. Lewis is always talking about the fact that God's more concerned about what we're becoming. But what we're supposed to be becoming is like the three of them. And, you know, monad gods like Allah, you, you don't, what do you 
get in the end. He's he's all by himself. He has no one to love. He has no one to be loved by. He doesn't even care that people love him. He just wants people to submit to him. But, but there is no equality within him. So who wants to submit to a person or a being who has no equality within himself? Where everything is subservient. And, and, and it's very Why different. Why do you say he has no equality within himself? Because it's just him. Yes, but if you're a Muslim, you've got the 99 names for God, which are his you know, character. Yeah, sure. So, but, but within himself, you don't have, right, there's only one person, but in the Trinitarian God, you have the Son and the Father, the Son submitting to the Father, and yet they're remaining equal. So you have this relationship that then you have to actually go and live in the real world. Right? It, otherwise, in the Trinitarian, or the, in Allah, the monad, he, there's, none of this stuff exists within him. He's just commanding that it happens. Whereas everything that he wants us to do in Scripture comes out of himself. The, the true and living God. That's my point. So, so the kind of gods you serve, right? Um, I mean, like pantheistic gods. You have gods who are nature, or gods who are—it's like they're—they're they're like Zeus. They're just like us, but more powerful, and they can't die. <laughs> and they're just like a bunch of scrappy five-year-old kids, really. <laughs> if you get to the Greek pantheon, but um, or you just have this in, impersonal, right? Like, oh, I'm going to go out, and my gods like in nature, like trees. Well, there's no personality to trees. There's no personality to a mountain. Um, I, I don't. Just, I, I I wouldn't say that there's not a spirit to them because it's spirit of gods there, but. But I, I think this is where you, f you find the real difference between the Trinitarian God and other gods. He is within himself all the things he wants us to become. He shows us how to do it. Allah is all kinds of things. Um, he, he isn't a lot of the things that he wants Muslims to become. He doesn't have it within himself. He can't. Um, so, yeah. So what are some other metaphors that C.S. Lewis uses? He uses the lover, the beloved, the love. He uses the spirit, like in an organization or family. He talks about um, light from a lamp, or heat from a fire, yeah. or thoughts from a mind. Right. Where really one is just an extension of the other, basically. Yeah, and, and that that's always very helpful because when you look at the sun, you don't see the rays of the sun. Right? But you can't see the sun without the rays of the sun. And, and it's this constant energy flowing off of it. Heat, warmth, light. And that is what the sun is. Just for eternity, he is he's coming, he proceeds from the Father in the same way. Um, and, and I think it's also, you know, Eastern, the Eastern Church and the Western Church. You guys know why there is the Eastern Church and the Western Church? You guys know what happened between the two groups? Okay, well, it's called the filioque. Filioque, yeah. So in the creed, it says that the, the spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Okay, well, when they wrote the creed, that's actually not what it said. The Western uh, people who uh, are the fathers of the Western church changed it and said they included the Son. It originally said that the spirit proceeds from the Father. So the, the Greek Orthodox church does not believe that the spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. It, he proceeds only from the Father. And I think that you have a problem there. Because what, what if, if he's the love between them, the reason you can say he, he proceeds from both is because he proceeds from both. The love goes back and forth. And the love comes out from them to us. And th this became a really big deal. And, and the church eventually split over it. There were a few other issues, but this was the primary one. And, 
to this day, it's a heresy in the Eastern Orthodox Church to say that the, that the Spirit proceeds from the Son in any way, shape, or form. He proceeds only from the Father. But you can see how you would have pro uh, trouble with that, right? And I remember when I became a Christian, this was one of the... I was reading this history book, and I read this, and I was like, Christians are idiots. I was like, I'm new Christians to Christians are what? Idiots. Oh. Because I'm new to the clan. Well, some of us are. And this is like what you guys are doing. And I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so then I, re I, get, I, I do some research, and I read, and over time I'm like, yeah, no, I totally divide with someone over this issue. <laughs> I totally what? Would divide with someone over this oh. issue, Laura. He proceeds from both. And, and what, what happens to God if he only proceeds from one of them? There's no communion. There's no communion. Wouldn't they not be equal then? Because then the Father would be like, have more authority than the Son would have in relation to the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that's good. I like that. That's helpful. So if you stop and you think about it, and you think about if you if you think about what the three of them do do in their individual roles, because they do have roles. We're not talking about modes. Okay, there's not one God who, when he's over here, he's the Father doing this Father stuff, and then the same God goes over here and he does Spirit stuff. That's called modalism. There are three distinct persons, and they have a role. Okay, and if the role of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus says it is in John then he has to proceed from both of them. He can't just proceed from one of them. Because then what you have, you lose the equality of God within, within himself. Does that make sense? It, it, and it works out to other things. It's, um, it's very strange because in any, any, if, if something is painted correctly, it possesses the holiness of the thing that it, it, it's depicting. So if you have a picture of Jesus and you have Greek Orthodox artists paint it correctly, then it actually contains part of the holiness of Jesus himself. Okay, So when you're there in his presence, you're actually before his presence. And, and this is something that um, Protestants, or, or the Western Church also gets wrong. Because Catholics won't eat the bread, chew it, because they think it's actually him. Well, they make the similar mistake as, as the icons. Because this icon controversy was the other thing that made us divide. They think the image of the, of, of, of the Mary or God the Father or the Spirit or whatever contains some of the holiness, and so they worship these artifacts. Um, now, I would say we, as modern American Protestants, are way over in the other ditch. We think there's nothing going on. It's just a symbol. It's just a piece of bread that's supposed to make me think of something, like a, like a, um, a date, you know, some, some note written in my calendar just reminds me of something. And, and what you have to understand is that what, what the, the role of the Holy Spirit is to cancel time and distance. This is part of what he does. So I get on my knees and I bow my head and I pray and I am before the throne of God in heaven. And the reason that I'm able to cross the distance okay, is because the Holy Spirit has made it possible. This is why he, he's making us like himself. And this is where you get into attributes. You guys know what an attribute is? What's an attribute? A piece of your character? Yeah, something that makes you you. So God has incommunicable attributes. Attributes that are only His, and communicable attributes. Attributes He shares. So we can do justice and have love um, and, and have a, a soul and a body. There's certain things that we can do because He does them. There are certain things he does that we can't do. 
one of those things is to be in everywhere at the same time. But what but he makes us like himself. We can be in two places at the same time by the power of the Holy Spirit. So on Sunday morning when we're all worshiping here, we are in fact at simultaneously worshiping with all the saints throughout the whole world, not only today, but throughout time before the throne of God. And the Spirit is the one who does that. And 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 that's part of that's what the Spirit does, right? He gives us the fruit of the Spirit. He, he gives us attributes that are God's attributes. Because the whole list of the fruit of the Spirit is all attributes of God. And so you see this kind of, you know, when Peter talks about the fact that we will share in the essence of the being of God, he's making us like himself. This is C.S. Lewis said, this is the thing we have to be focused on. He's making us like himself. So he's making us creatures who can love. He's making us creatures who can do justice. He's making us creatures that can be in more than one place at the same time. Does that make sense? Pretty wild, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is, man. We teleport every Sunday morning now. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and what I find is that this is an ancient way of talking about this that we just don't know. Yeah. Like, I remember reading this in a book, and I was like, this guy is a kook. And then I went and I read the same thing, like, in a work of theology that was written hundreds of years ago. And the guy is just referring to the fact that he's going down to, to worship with all the saints throughout time. And I was like, it's not a new idea. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, you know, when I think of the Holy Spirit, how does the bread um, remain being bread and yet at the same time become Christ? Well, the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he works on things by canceling the distance and space. He can he can he cancels the distance between the bread and, and Christ himself. And and he make, he can make something other than what it actually is. So, when we take communion, what are we partaking of? We're, we're uh, partaking of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it still remains bread and wine. Yes, just like there are three individual persons who are yet one being. The bread does not cease being bread, and yet at the same time becomes the Lord Jesus. Isn't that what the Roman Catholic Church believes? Though? No, they think it actually, yeah, they think it actually changes and becomes Jesus. Okay. The, the so proximate position is actually more it's complicated. A it's a reminder of who Christ is. Nope, that's also not what I'm saying. No. It, it, it remains what it is, while at the same time becoming something other. Yeah. Now, what... So it's two it's like Father and... Contradiction. Okay, yes, well, because you're saying the Trinity is really one person, but three part, three beings. So three persons, one being. You have to be very careful. Okay, go ahead. I don't know what I said then. Um, <laughs> that's what I thought I said, but... Okay. Um... That's what I meant. But you're saying the bread and wine is the same idea. It's it's bread, but it's two things. Beans, the same. Two, two. Something only, again, it's out of our thinking. Yeah. But yes. only after you like. But only after you it, say like the institution. The right. Because it. Because be, before it's just bread. It after would be superstitious. It's just bread. So it's like magic. I mean, that's a pretty scary. Not until you pray over it, and then it suddenly is. Yes. That's a little bit on the edge. Yes. And, and, and so, and this is what I love about this stuff. Because Calvin Deeper was, magic. Calvin would say this kind of thing. Yeah, Calvin would say this kind of thing in his day, and everybody's like, okay, makes sense. <laughs> but, but communion is very difficult to understand. And, and this is why, this is an issue that you have to be very careful with. Especially, we're, we're, non, we're not very spiritual beings, modern American Christians. We're very science, very reason-based. We don't believe in magic. We don't believe in spirits. We don't believe in all kinds of things that the Bible says is true. And so 
this is one of those things where you can, you can create all kinds of superstition. Like, it, it would be superstitious of us if I, if I didn't let anyone eat the bread, but we took it outside and burned it, because now it's sacrosanct and nobody's allowed to touch it. Well, that's not what happens. As soon as we're done taking communion, you know what happens to it? It's just bread. Who says? I mean, you're saying this, but who says now suddenly it's just bread again? I mean, I don't see that. I don't see anyone in the Bible says pray over the bread and it becomes magically the body. Now, and when you're all done eating, now that bread all turns back magically to bread. I don't see that. I'm right. Sorry. Well, I mean, but yeah, you know, no, that's fine. So I, there are books that you you can read about the subject. Extra biblical. Well, no, but that explain. The biblical text. Because why does Paul say, Paul tells us what to say. He tells us what to say. You do communion, you say this. These are the things that you're supposed to say. Well, why would he say that? And why would he talk about people doing it correctly and incorrectly? Why would he talk about people dying when they're doing it? Why would he, right? I mean, why are they gathering together and this is the thing that they're deciding to do in Acts chapter 2? They, they got together and this is what they're having as an agape meal all the time. Why are they doing it? Why are they doing this? I, it's time. Like, <laughs> if you think about it, it's just it's time. It's the, the, our gap here is time. Our, yeah. like, our gap in understanding is time. Yeah. It's like how do I understand? Or you, you think about the Trinity. It's like, well, Jesus was in the beginning, but he's also here. Mm-hmm. And he's also so. But the difference between Jesus in the beginning and the difference is here is our only our understanding of time. When yeah. he is existent in all of it outside of time. Correct. Like, we just have that separation of we have to think things in a linear way with progression and time coming after another. So it becomes difficult to think about communion and time because Jesus was 2,000 years ago and we're here now when really the difference between this moment and that moment is time. Conversely, as well as the difference between us worshiping in church on a Sunday versus worshiping in heaven in the chorus forever is also time. Right. So you take out the factor of time, understanding that we have a God who is timeless, who lives outside of time, also another attribute of God. We, all of a sudden, everything collapses in on itself and becomes combined. If not for time. But he's separated. day when we're all resurrected out of the ground and we're face to face with God is that we will be able to see like he sees. We'll be able to know like he knows. And his way of knowing is very different than ours. And we're just giving glimpses like what I'm talking about now. Right? How do two people become one flesh and yet remain individuals? You know, I, all I can tell you is the Trinity. I can just say the Trinity. You know? How does the bread remain bread but become the body of Christ? I, I don't know. The Trinity. That's my answer. And, and, and I think, you know, how are we worshiping here in a strip mall in Linwood, and at the same time we're worshiping with Calvin in Geneva and uh, with the angels in heaven all, all before the throne of God at Santesi? I don't know the Trinity. And, and I think this is where you, one, it starts to make sense of a lot of things, while at the same time you realize the profound mystery of all things. Yes. Um, and, and this is another question, like, okay, so are, are there any, are there Bengal tigers in Alaska, right? Probably not. 
Probably not, but how do we know? Right? No, I haven't been to the zoo, so I can't answer it. <laughs> and, and think about this for a second. Okay, I'm going to go and see if there's Bengal tigers in Alaska. So I, I would have to, what, go everywhere in Alaska, right? I'd have to cover every square inch of Alaska. But then as soon as I get back and I report, you know what, there were no Bengal tigers in Alaska. It could be now. They could be now. So you, in order to know anything, you have to be both omniscient, all-knowing, and, and uh, omnipresent everywhere at the same time. And this is why God is, is truth, and God knows truth, and, and truth comes from Him. He's the only one that is everywhere simultaneously and knows all things simultaneously. No, and, and all we can do is receive that authority or not. We, and, and you see in the world, this is what people are doing, is they want a God-like understanding of everything. Let's categorize everything. And this is actually a mistake secular culture is making right now. They think they're going to get to the end of knowledge. They think everything is going to be in Wikipedia. They think that we're going to catalog everything. And this is why you have encyclopedias. This is why you have, when you go back to the guys who started encyclopedias, their idea is there's a finite amount of information that we're going to find everything out. And, and they're making a mistake because there is no end to what could be known. And there's no way to know everything unless you're God himself. Okay? So we have a book written by someone who is in all places at all times, who knows all things at all, at, simultaneously, and he tells us things. And that is how, okay, this is why this book has certainty, because the person who is everywhere simultaneously and knows all things simultaneously tells us there's no other document that has information and truth the way that the scriptures do. And, and again, and, and the scriptures proceed from the Father and the Son and the Spirit. That's why I don't start with the scriptures. It's a product of, that they have. Now, all, all of the things that we know about the Trinitarian God comes from the conversations that the Son has with the Father. It's one of the things, if you start to notice it, the Son says, hey, I'm praying to you right now, and I'm saying this out loud, not for my own sake, but for their sake. And running through the Gospels is a dialogue between the Father and Son, Father and Son, that everybody else is watching. And that's what we're, this is the point. What's being revealed to us is who they are. It's not just about the Son. It's not just about the Father. It's about their relationship. And if you go with Luke, we're running out of time. Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, in the, Gospel, in the, in the book of Acts, is, though that's a part one and part two of, of the same story. This is Jesus' life powered by the Holy Spirit. This is, the, the Acts of the Apostles should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is, the, this is the way the Holy Spirit was the gas in the car getting the church down the road. This is how Jesus relied upon the Spirit. This is how the church relied upon the Spirit. And so you see in, in the Gospels, not only this relationship between the Father and the Son, but how the Spirit is what animates and drives the whole thing. Uh, and it's the love proceeding from the two of them. So th this is what you come to understand about this person. And, and, and I think it changes the New Testament. It makes it a very different kind of book when you start thinking about it that way. So as you're reading, pay attention to when the, the son is talking to the father or the father is talking to the son because that, that, those are the plot points that really tell us, um, reveal to us how we are to understand the rest of it. That makes any sense. Okay, any, any questions? Yes, but not that I can articulate right now. Well, go and be refreshed. They're all right for us. Father, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you for uh, the, the, this deep knowledge. And I pray that, Lord, that we would 
both receive it uh, with faith and that we would uh, meditate upon it, Lord, and that we would be renewed by it and that we would, Lord, um, cr- uh, praise you and worship you as, as we ought to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.